0: What do you get after a month of stock stories and stock reviews of stock scorecards and well, a stock market that is actually going up 14% for me so far anyway this month. I hope you too. Maybe you're doing better. Well, after a stocky stock start to the year end to this year's podcast, I think we should talk about stocks, breaking rules and investing just a little bit more. Driven, of course, by your questions, your best questions and thoughts, my best answers back. It's time for your mailbag, first of the year, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing.
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner.
0: And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing, looking back over the month that has been for this podcast. We started with January 4th, the first Wednesday of 2023, Old, New, Borrowed, and Blue, volume six. One of my enjoyable, at least for me, I hope for you too, recurring series, thinking about four points, some from the past, some from the present. I do remember Blue getting to talk about the blues and the buffs from the Pickwick Papers and Charles Dickens, but I remember the borrowed as well. Borrowed, we talked about completing capitalism and the economics of mutuality and the work done by Jay Jacob and his partner, Bruno Roche, and the wonderful framework that very much complements conscious capitalism. So, a variety of different treats in old, new, borrowed, and blue. We then went forward, told some stock stories for the seventh time in this podcast's history, joined by several guests, each of whom had a didactic lesson drawn from their own investing experience to share with you. That was a lot of fun. And I'm going to be having one of them back in a little while to reflect a little bit longer. Thanks to one of your wonderful notes on the story that he told. And then finally, last week, well, it was time for some more stocks. This time it was a review of Palooza, looking back at two past five stock samplers picked on this podcast, a winner and a loser. And at the end of this week's podcast, I will officially update the final numbers for the winner. Needed to wait till last Friday to get the three-year end stats for that particular five stock sampler. And so I'll have those numbers for you, along with its Foolhalla ascension. We begin this mailbag, as so many others have begun, with some hot takes from Twitter, Eric DeVore, at Eric DeVore, at David G. Fool. Finally getting around to this gem from Shirzad Shamin and the Rule Breaker Investing podcast that solidified my connection to The Fool. Very appreciative of the community you've built and opened up to the rest of us. Happy New Year, Chief. I see you, writes Eric. And Eric, thank you very much for that. I'm highlighting this one just because for many of us, we're hoping that 2023 will be a better year, maybe across many dynamics, than was 2022. Now, 2022 had its charms and its highlights. I certainly can look back fondly on moments throughout 2022. And yet, I'm always hoping to level it up. I bet you too, dear listener, are looking to do the same thing. For many of us at the start of the year, taking a positive approach to life probably will lead to a more positive year. So if you've not already come across the work of Shirzad Shamin, his wonderful book, New York Times bestseller, Positive Intelligence, that's what Eric is referencing, and I would highly recommend it. You should read the book, but if you just want a one-hour or so Cliff Notes-like podcast of me interviewing Shirzad, just Google Rule Breaker Investing, Shirzad, S-H-I-R-Z-A-D, Shamin, C-H-A-M-I-N-E. I'm spelling those out because it's occasionally helpful for some of my listeners for me actually to give the names and spellings of things, as you'll hear very shortly on a mailbag item this week. But I highly recommend Shirzad and his work. It's helped me a lot. I bet it will help you and your friends and family. So positive intelligence. So glad it's been a positive thing for you, Eric DeVore. Also loved getting this from you, Jason Moore at Jiminy Jillikers. Great start to 2023, David. Jason referencing old, new, borrowed, and blue. Talked about Tesla on that podcast to open up the year. And Jason, you list yourself as a Tesla shareholder. Great thoughts in this episode. I'm excited to hear that we're aiming to get Kevin Kelly back again. Yep, the co-founder of Wired, the longtime writer and thinker author of the wonderful book, The Inevitable, which I highly recommend. It's probably six, seven, eight years old right now. It's talking about the future, but it's looking deeply far into the future. Well, not too far, but far enough that things are starting to come true and some other things we're waiting on. And I always admire anybody who has the guts to write down his thoughts in a permanent way about what he thinks will happen in the future. Kevin Kelly is one of them. He made a wonderful appearance on this podcast a few years ago. I do note Kevin has his next book coming out this year. Yes, Jason, I predict we will have Kevin Kelly for you a little bit later this year. Excited to see that. In fact, you gave him the hashtag world's most interesting man in your tweet, which I think is wonderful. Something blue makes me think of one of my Rule Breaker investing favorites. Jason writes as a longtime listener, my interview with Matthew Dad. Anyway, thank you for that nice note to start the year. How about two more from Twitter? Another one from at Jason underscore Trice, one of my most wonderful correspondents. And Jason, thank you for this. You just simply wrote, I enjoyed the completing capitalism framework. Feels like a form of business karma. Take care of all stakeholders and the bottom line will take care of itself. Now, I think that is true much more often than not and way more often than most people would think. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit more than just trying to take care of all your stakeholders. Sometimes, even that can fail, but really, the odds are so far on your side if you are creating a win 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 with your business for your investors, for your employees, certainly for your customers, of course, and the world at large. So, Jason, I'm so glad you enjoyed that framework. I mentioned it, it was something borrowed in the old new Borrowed Blue episode to start this year. So glad that you enjoyed that. I agree with your observations. Last one I'll mention. Yep, we took a trip, my family, after Christmas to Barcelona. Had a wonderful time at the Sagrada Familia Cathedral and many other treats. Lots of good eats in Barcelona. And I was tweeting out a few things from there. And Carlos Arbessu, at Carlos Arbessu, responding to my Barcelona picture that I posted up on Twitter, said, Learn about Gaudi's life. Gaudi, of course, the incredibly talented 20th century creative, the artist, a lot of his work showcased in what I think of as one of the wonders of the modern world, showcased, of course, in the Sagrada Familia, the great cathedral in Barcelona. But Gaudi, such an original thinker and doer. And Carlos, you clearly, as a Barcelona native yourself, tweeted, learn about Gaudi's life. The Sagrada Familia cathedral can be a marvelous example of compounding. Now, like many cathedrals, the Sagrada Familia has taken a long time to build. You'll often hear it said of those who lived in medieval times that many of them spent their entire life's labor working on, on a cathedral that they themselves would never see completed. Not a bad way of thinking about what we're all trying to do in life, which is leave the camp place better than we found it, but not necessarily tying up every loose end and maybe setting up the next generation for success in what we do. So I am inspired, Carlos, to look a little bit more at the Sagrada Familia Cathedral story. I admittedly spent a great two hours in the cathedral itself, but I remain a little bit more in the dark about the long-term build. It's taken quite a long time to complete this cathedral and it's not done yet. So I think I'm hearing part of what you're saying, but a marvelous example of, of compounding. And I'm quite sure Gaudi was thinking past his own life in his work. Anyway, thank you for another great month of tweets. I'm at David G. Fool on Twitter at RBI podcast is this podcast's address. And of course, our email address, which is very relevant for mailbag episodes is RBI at fool.com. And that's where most of the notes came in for this month's mailbag. I see seven items ahead of us. Let's get started. All right, rule breaker, Investing mailbag item number one. This is from Jonathan Edwards. Thank you, Jonathan, for this note. Hey, Dave. By the way, sometimes people are like, are you David or Dave? What do I call you? And if you're somebody like me or maybe my pal, Rick, my producer, they'll say, is it Richard or Rick? A lot of us have names that can be easily nicknamed and very thoughtful. People want to know to call us by the name we prefer. If that ever matters to you and me, face to face, dear listener, I don't care. I like either. People call me David. People call me Dave. Some people used to use my initials, especially if there were a lot of Daves around. I'd just be DG to them. Uh, But I think Fool has been used many a time for me as well. All of these names work for me. Hey, Dave, writes Jonathan Edwards. Great episode. I'm rediscovering podcasts and was a member of the Motley Fool at one time. Well, Jonathan, I hope we can get you back curious, could not make out some of the items on your list. And we're about to go through that very briefly. Jonathan is referring not to one of my January podcasts, but to my listing of some of my favorite things and favorite holiday gifts that I was giving out at the end of last year. And specifically three of them, Jonathan, it was unclear to you what I was saying or how it was spelled. So very quickly, the first one is better booch. You said, is it better cooch Booch from your friend, Trey? And the answer is, it's Better Booch. Now, Booch is B-O-O-C-H, and that's short for kombucha. And I'm a big fan of Better Booch, which you can order over Amazon and other places. And Trey Lockerbie and his family are behind that. Trey, the talented co-host, one of the co-hosts of the Investors podcast that I've appeared on a few times, including near the end of last year. If anybody wants to get too much of me, if me once a week isn't enough. You definitely are encouraged to go back and hear me interviewed by somebody else on the Investor's Podcast. But in addition to being a pretty darn good podcast host, Trey's also an entrepreneur and once sent me some of his Better Booch and I liked enough. I was like, I'm chatting this up to friends. I'm going to give it over the holidays for any of my kombucha leaning friends. And if you haven't ever tried kombucha, look it up and I would suggest trying it. Whether you want to try Better Booch or any of the many different brands these days, It's fermented tea in different flavors. It's very healthy for our gut. I am a fan. So that is how to spell that one, Jonathan. The second one you asked about was Building a Second Brain, the book. And you said, who's the author? Let me spell that for you. T-I-A-G-O. Tiago is his first name. And Forte, I'm assuming he pronounces it that way, F-O-R-T-E. Speaking of people that I'm hoping to have on the podcast, he's definitely on my short list here near the start of this year. So building a second brain, the reason I was giving that to any friend who listened to me over the holiday season is because I think it's a remarkably helpful and important book for our time. Each of us is whether you want to be or not is an information worker, uh, indulging in personal knowledge management. Yep, all that stuff on your in your file folders on your hard drive or on your desktop. Or the note-keeping app that you have, or your to-do lists, all of these are digital assets, and we can make better use of them. We can integrate them, have them mirror each other, and really treat them as a second brain. We all know our first brain. I'm using it to speak to you right now. You're using it to listen to me right now. But if you have an excellent, stronger memory full of everything that you've read, thought about, if you've collected those things and you integrate them and you build that second brain well it will be an asset that keeps on giving to you for the rest of your life so a wonderful book happy to give it yet another plug at the start of this week's podcast and finally the fifth one you asked about we'll skip the others on the list anyone can go back and listen to that podcast but the fifth was nick's play photo frames and you were like is it nicks you know like my buddy n-i-c-k apostrophe s is it nicks and the answer is nope It's N-I-X-P-L-A-Y. You can Google them. You'll find them on Amazon, probably other places too. Photo frames that are much better than the ones I grew up with. The photo frames I grew up with never changed. You just put a photograph that somebody had actually developed in a lab, and you'd put that and leave it there forever. But these days, I think a lot of us can appreciate all the pictures we're taking. You can now have them digitally uploaded into frames that you keep around your house. And they can change pictures from one minute or day to the next, which to me is such a better version of photo frames than I can think of in the past. But what I think is cool about Nick's Play is that you can actually network them. So you can have the same photos popping up on your photo frame in your home and on your elderly parent's photo frame in his or her home or your kids off at college. You can share photos into it I am a fan. Anyway, Jonathan, you concluded, is there a way to get transcripts of podcasts? Because I read, Jonathan writes, better than I hear. So I can do this for myself, he says. Happy New Year. Cheers, Jonathan Edwards. Well, Jonathan, there is indeed. In fact, podcasts.fool.com is the site on the internet. Now, I have to admit, as a longtime member of my own services, The Motley Fool, I'm not actually sure if this is for members only or free to all, but I hope you're a member anyway. And if you are, go to podcasts.fool.com. You'll see on that page Rule Breaker Investing. If you click on Rule Breaker Investing and then look carefully for a blue link near the top of the page that says podcast transcripts, think, click that, and you will find a long-running chronological list of articles, many of which have the transcripts of all of my past podcasts. So you will find the transcript for that podcast or most others that I've done right there. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out and writing in. All right, Rule Breaker mailbag item number two, this one from Paul Dent. Hi, David. I'm not a good writer, but I'm trying to make it a future atomic habit of that. If I crank enough stuff out publicly, Paul writes, maybe I'll get better. Based on your best gifts podcast, here's another reference to that one, I was the proud recipient of a Hydrate Spark Pro light smart water bottle, the 24-ounce chug model for Christmas. And I've been hitting my hydration target daily. And you know I'm reading that with a smile on my face, Paul, because I love hearing that. Now, as you refeatured the Hydrate Spark as something new in this month, yep, something old, something new, I figure it's not too late to give feedback. And Paul provides feedback for the Hydrate Spark Pro community. And the people of the bottle. There might even be customer service or CEOs listening. Who knows, Paul? Pros, you give five quick bullets here. Pros, number one, my daily water intake has increased. Number two, fewer plastic bottles have been purchased and recycled. Number three, bottle design is very nice. I like it as a water bottle. Number four, the digital confetti that's on the app because, of course, this product is not just a hardware piece. It's not just a water bottle. It's tied to an app on your phone, which constantly monitors and updates how much water you've taken through that bottle through the day and gamifies it and makes it a community with your family and friends, which I love about it. Anyway, the digital confetti, bullet number four reads, is rewarding when the daily goal is reached. And yes, Paul, I think you figured this out, You're going for a daily goal, but then like some other things like Wordle, for example, you're also trying to put together a streak. And uh, I think it's all to your health. The more water and the fewer plastic bottles in our oceans, I think it's, I'd say the better. Your final pro bullet, number five, the glowing base. Yep, that's a little bit of the fun of this product. The glowing base after each sip in colors of your choice, by the way, dear listener, was fun. Emphasis on past tense. So I guess I should do it this way was fun, and it made me happy. And those are the pros. There are two cons that Paul wants to share back, the first one being the most important to him and perhaps to all. Con number one, technology glitch. My bottle quit working 23 days after receiving it. Nothing happened to damage it, but it no longer syncs with the app, though the sensor is fully charged and glows. I contacted support at hydrate.me, and got an auto response with some specific questions. I responded to that immediately. I received an email from a human, no less, three days later with a link to a diagnostic tool, ran it, tried the fixes in quotes, not fixed yet. Jury's still out on customer support, but for now, I'm putting all of my fluid intake into the app manually. And that concludes his first con. It is a reminder that you don't have to drink all your water through your Hydrate Spark Pro bottle. You can just note you had a six-ounce glass of water, I don't know, at the restaurant last night. So yes, you can do that too, but that really is not how this product's supposed to work. Your other con, Paul, you wrote is activity-level parameter pet peeve. I'm annoyed that it's totally subjective. Five highly qualitative categories with no backup guidance for each. Well, we're not going to get too down in the weeds on this one. I want to move to our next Mailbag item, but I will say that I like the way that they set the parameters. I understand that you're saying kind of I'm very active or I'm somewhat active. I realize these are somewhat subjective. One thing I appreciate about the product is that you don't have the same water goal every day. That would get a little boring if every single day it was 72.0 ounces. So what your Hydrate water bottle is doing is it's noting your own activity level. Let's say through your Apple Watch the number of steps that you're getting, and so. It'll have you drinking more water when you're more active and less when less. It also looks at the humidity of your zip code. It knows the weather. That does affect how much or little we should hydrate ourselves. And it also makes it a more fun game because you have a different kind of numerical target that sometimes moves during the day every day. Well, Paul concludes pros outweigh the cons, but con number one is a biggie. You noted giving quite a few Hydrate Sparks as gifts this year is my experience atypical. Thanks, David. Closing, I love my weekly Rule Breaker Investing Fix. Paul Dent. Well, Paul, thank you for that kind note. I have both given it as gifts and inspired others to give it as gifts. And you're the first one that I've heard back from who has had a broken bottle. I'm so sorry to hear that your bottle is no longer through Bluetooth syncing with your phone. I would hope that they would send you a replacement if you've gone through all their steps. I think this is a good company. I appreciate the product. Even more I appreciate you reaching out and sharing your experience and letting me do it here. I bet they're listening and I bet they're working hard to make it better. All right, Rule Breaker Mailbag item number 3. Dear David, this is the third year I have written to you. In your February 2021 Mailbag titled Tinker Taylor Soldier Sailor. I remember this. You read my Quotes stock story. Steve Hostetter writes, I was the firefighter. That year, I was quite happy to report an amazing portfolio percentage increase after my rule breaker picks killed it in the quotes stay-at-home environment. The basic theme of my letter was that it paid off not to panic and stay the course during the initial stock market COVID plummet. At that time, I couldn't be more on board with the full premise of buying and holding companies essentially forever as the same companies that did great in 2020 had also done well leading up to 2020. You read my next letter in the January 2022 mailbag, that would be one year ago, titled, You Look Marvelous. This report wasn't so great. My portfolio was handily beaten by the S&P as stay-at-home stocks came back down to earth and the rotation from growth to value was well underway. I ended last year's letter, Steve writes, by stating that I will stay the course with my Rule Breaker picks and that, quote, it will be interesting to see where the market and my portfolio are at the end of 2022, end quote. Well, the market was, to say the least, interesting and staying the course didn't work out well at all in terms of results. My portfolio was down 40% in 2022. At the beginning of 2022, I had a defined plan, knowing that downturns usually don't last too long, that good companies always bounce back, and that buying the dips had been working. I did just that. I had some new capital at the beginning of the year, deployed it using a dollar-cost averaging strategy over the next 12 months with concerns about the economy, the Federal Reserve raising rates, and then the war in Ukraine. I thought I would be conservative. And increase holdings in well capitalized large cap tech companies like Microsoft, Alphabet, Apple, and Amazon. But I also bought some shares of the growth stocks that had performed well in 2020 and had been beaten down in 2021, like HubSpot, Mercado Libre, Shopify, and DocuSign. Well, they got beaten down some more, Steve continues, a lot more. And so did the large cap tech stocks. What a disaster! Every month, I bought more shares in what felt like an environment that couldn't get worse because contrarians buy when there's blood in the water, as they say. I was buying companies at prices that hadn't been seen in over two years, and then they'd go lower. Every month in 2022, I continued to hope I was buying the dip, but in retrospect, was attempting to catch a falling knife. I felt that at any time this year, Some good news like the economy improving, the Ukraine war wrapping up, or the Fed changing course could change the direction of the market, but that in 2022 never happened. My lessons learned this year aren't definitive, and I'm not 100% sure of the changes in strategy I'm contemplating making. I'm interested in your two cents on my considerations. I believe I should have given more consideration to the macroeconomic factors that were going on this year. When the market is above its average price-to-earnings ratio, inflation is running hot, and the Fed is insisting they will continue to raise interest rates, I should have held more cash longer. I invested throughout the year, as opposed to investing all my capital at the beginning of the year, but my ultimate goal was to be all in the market by the end of 2022. I've always felt that holding cash as a part of my investment portfolio is a waste of capital. But maybe that's wrong. In a recent interview with your brother, Morgan Housel pushed back on the generally accepted notion that owning cash is bad in times of high inflation. He stated that although cash will lose value, assets will lose even more in the short term. This makes sense to me, as I've witnessed it happen time and time again. When the dust settles, cash buys assets at a bargain. Knowing when the dust settles, always occurs in hindsight. And we currently have a lot of moving macroeconomic pieces, but I'm considering making a cash position, a percentage of my portfolio and time the market to some degree with my stock purchases and sales. Yes, I said it, time the market, Steve writes. I wouldn't consider buying and selling entire positions, but I would sell a few shares when traditional market and economic indicators dictate I should increase my cash position, and buy shares in the opposite environment. In this respect, don't fight the Fed and valuations matter will be more a part of my investing strategy than they've been in the past. In retrospect, I'm not sure why I was buying when the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates and stating they were going to do it some more. It seems like I should have been selling a few shares. After following you for years, David, it seems your strategy is to buy companies you like at the time you decide you like them and hold all the shares forever regardless of market factors or until you don't like the company anymore. Is that it? I'm curious to know if you did anything with your portfolio in 2022 as economic factors transpired, and if you were to see them unfold in the future like they did last year, would you do anything differently? What would you do if you had a 2022 do-over? I would venture to guess there are a lot of fools in the same boat for 2022 that would be interested to know if you care to share. Please excuse me if you already have, and I missed it. Thanks for all you do, David. Be well and fool on, Steve. Well, first of all, Steve, there are so many things that I appreciate about your note. One of them is how it started. This is the third year I have written to you. You know, I love all of my new listeners. I always will. And if you're very new this week, welcome. I'm so glad that you found us in the eighth year of this weekly podcast. But I have to admit, I love the people who've been with me the most or the longest, even more. I love the accountability that takes place over time. I love the trust building that needs time to happen. And Steve, while I I think I've failed you in the year that we've just lived through, I hope, nevertheless, I still built trust with you, and I hope this act of featuring you on the mailbag does so in addition. So the first thing I want to say that I really appreciate is that this is the third year that you've written to me. Also appreciate your service as a firefighter. I loved sharing your story. Yep, it's there. February 2021 mailbag. Anybody can look at the transcript. You now know how to find it, or you can just go back and listen to Steve's story as it was told in that February 2021 mailbag. That was a mailbag, by the way, where I had so many wonderful stories from motley different places that I decided to turn the whole mailbag into featuring the stories of very different people, which is why we called it Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Sailor. I can even say in this case, Firefighter, because Steve, that's part of your background and your story. The next thing I wanted to speak to is just dollar cost averaging as a strategy. I continue to believe that it is the way to go in this world. That's why, pretty much, not just for the eight years of this podcast or the last three volatile years, but for the 30 years of The Motley Fool, I and so many of us at The Fool, my brother, of course, included Morgan Housel, would include himself as well, have been big fans of regular, persistent investing. I would say through all times, good and bad. I would say often we can't know that they were going to be good or that they were going to be bad until well after they've occurred, at which point we can start being definitive, saying that was a really bad year, 2022, but it's very hard to know at the start of a new year for any year, in my experience, how things are going to go. That's why I much prefer just keep swimming, persistent action taking, not guessing, sometimes head faking yourself out of the market. So, I want you to know that what you did in 2022 I think was really smart. You said you had maybe a lump sum or an opportunity to invest it all at the start of the year, but you didn't put it all into the market at the start of 2022. You described a plan, which I love, of doing it over the next 12 months so that you were fully invested by the end of the year. That means that some of the disappointing numbers we saw in 2022, you didn't have to suffer them all. In fact, if you were still buying in June, and then September, and then December, if you were spreading your money out, I bet you're going to look back some years from now and say you're really glad that you were buying all the way through 2022. There's no way a month into the new year that you can reflect happily on your actions. It does feel as if everything is down, although, Mark, has been up about double digits the last few weeks. For some of us rule breakers, I bet for you too, Steve, you wrote this note prior to 2022. 23, but I want you to know that I think you're going to look back and be glad that you did what you did through 2022. But the near-term feedback, which is all we can really get when we've made new buys, is what happens next month or that particular year. The near-term feedback has, of course, largely been negative, And 2021 was a bad year as well. So I want you to know in conclusion that I can completely empathize. I think so many of us hearing you can completely empathize. Having lived, having walked those shoes Ourselves these last few years. Uh, and to speak briefly to your question about changing strategies, changing horses in the middle of the race is one way of thinking about it, although that's often a very negative connotation. I'm here to celebrate learning as you go. And so while I myself will continue to take the approach that I've taken, which is different probably in some ways from my brother Tom, although there's a lot of overlap there, uh, different from Morgan Housel, maybe unique. Maybe what I've been throwing down the last 30 years or so could only have come from me in some senses. We're all our own creatives. We're all inventing as we go. But I'm going to continue following the path because I know how it's done over the last 10, 20, and 30 years. And I feel very confident that buying great companies, even when they sell off dramatically over short periods of time, I know how this story ends. I watched Amazon once go from 95 to seven my cost basis was 3 i watched it go up 30 times in value but then as everything came tumbling down in 2001 how many motley fool members were talking about how disappointed that they were that they hadn't sold at 95 or that they hadn't gone to cash or that they should have sold amazon at 50 or 40 or 30 as it drops back down to 7 but these days if you were to split adjust that cost basis you'd see the benefits even if you'd bought all the way through that difficult time you would see the tremendous benefits of holding a great company. Now, not everything is Amazon. In fact, only Amazon is Amazon. But I'm certainly a fan of most of the companies you just mentioned. And even if the near-term feedback has been negative, you should please know, Steve Hostetter and all my fellow fools, that this too shall pass. The markets go up over time and great companies win. So I'm not looking to go to cash. or looking to macroeconomic factors, which change from one year to the next. I think it's much more helpful, at least for me, the lazy bum that I am, to just invest in greatness, keep doing so my whole life long, and let's see how the numbers look. I feel good after 30 years. but I already said I was going to close, but I'll add one more. This is an addendum or an appendix to my response. But what I would say is if you do choose to alter your strategy, which I am a fan of doing, we should be learning as we go, I would still highly suggest that maybe you segment. So maybe you keep a bunch of your money in the strategy that you've already been practicing sounds as if largely inspired by me. And then I would say, if you want to have a cash cushion or more of a market timing strategy with whatever portion of your money you want to do that with, whether it's a majority or a minority, I would highly, highly suggest that you keep score. So when you write me back a year from now, although you're certainly welcome to write me again in between now and a year from now, but when you write me back a year from now or the year after that, if you're going to pursue some new strategies, be scoring them. If you want to have multiple strategies going on, separate them and understand how they're doing for you. So, I think a lot of times in life, we feel like we have to make whole hog changes. Everything's either on or off, it's binary thinking. But I'm a big fan of a multiplicity of frameworks or thoughts of seeing the grays and the gradients. And so, here is one example. I'm throwing that down for you, Steve, to think about if you're going to change strategy, score it. and you know, don't just score it over a quarter or a year. Don't decide that you're really right or really wrong after even one year. Do it for about five years and be watching a few different things and then, with the several decades after that, you'll be better equipped to make the best decisions that you can. Steve, I want to close by saying to you, sir, thanks for all you do, taking the time to listen. And write in, share your story in an authentic way that I think we can all relate to. I sure can, so to you, sir, I say back, be well, and fool on. All right, mailbag item number four, this one from Chris from Toronto. Hey, David and Rick, I hope you're both well and off to a great start in the new year. Thank you, Chris. I can only speak for me right now. Perhaps Rick will speak for himself at the end of the show, but it has been a great start to the new year. Thank you. after listening to your January eleventh podcast of stock stories. My ears perked up when Ori Hughes told his excellent, and that's spelled with a capital X, no E, excellent, X spell, that's the company name, X-P-E-L, story, and I just, Chris writes, had to relate my own X experience to you. It was 2019, and I was early on in my investing journey. I just reread the wonderful Motley Fool Investment Guide as gifted from my parents a couple of years earlier. Inspired, I started digging looking for what I was going to add to my portfolio next. It occurred to me that the book had laid out a number of different guidelines for positive signs in a company's financials, which I could plug into a stock screener to narrow my search. Chris goes on, I took as many of these numbers as I could. What exactly they were, I can't recall at this point. And when I screened for them, only two companies came back and one was Xpel. And for those keeping score at home, the ticker symbol for XPEL is indeed X-P-E-L. Reading a summary of what the company did didn't particularly excite me, which was and still is very important to me so as to keep me engaged with the story of the stock. And so I put the company on a watch list and didn't think anything of it for a while. It wasn't until late 2020 that I had noticed what I had been missing out on. And for those who were listening a couple of weeks ago to Stock Stories, Volume 7, you'll remember Ori Hughes talking about the outstanding performance. I can't quite recall Ori's exact title of his story. He'll be on very shortly to remind me. But it was something like, get to know my best stock pick ever or something very close to that. So we're talking about a stellar performer through a couple of pretty bad years for the stock market. So that's part of the compelling story here going on. Uh, with expel anyway chris goes on it took until 2023 checking my calendar i think he's talking about this month but i finally dove into this company and found myself much more interested in their business than originally thought couple that with what i see as a potentially very large market opportunity in energy saving window films and it was enough for me to make it a small position in my portfolio and wouldn't you know it two days after i make that purchase Ori relives my experience on the podcast. If I have a lesson to be learned, I suppose it might be to keep your options and view as open as possible. I could have easily brushed this idea off, never found it again, but by keeping it on my radar, I would add, I hope on your Motley Fool watch list, Chris, you write, I was able to keep tabs from a distance and find a new interest in it years down the road. Boy, do I want to double underline that one as... I welcome Ori on Ori. Welcome. Thank you for having me, David. I'm delighted to have you back. Obviously, Chris loved your story. And here we are talking about again. Let's talk about it some more. You know, he closed out his note with while it will take some time to see if this idea pans out. I'm glad that I have a new team to root for. And I'm excited to know Ori is watching as well. He writes, full on and go Jays. He's, of course, referring to the Toronto Blue Jays as a Canadian man himself. He is a Blue Jays fan, knows we like baseball on this podcast. Or your timing couldn't have been better for Chris from Toronto. I love <laughs> his own story. You know, what jumps out to me first is that he took the time to do some research in the first place. He took a pass, understandably, but he didn't forget. He actually, using a watch list, it came back to him. Talk about building a second brain, a separate topic for another time but you know, setting yourself up so that your system brings back insights and ideas from your past can be so helpful for you as a present-day investor. Now, Ori, you know this story all the way through. You've invested and, and held it and done well. I know even you yourself with this small-cap winning stock could have bought even earlier than that. I guess we're all always feeling that way. You're looking backward at a stock you could have bought it earlier. Ori, could you remind us briefly, what is the company's
1: business? Yeah, so, um, the company makes paint protection film, which is an interesting technology. Paint protection film was originally used by the military, um, on helicopters to protect the blades of the helicopters from rocks and things that could nick the helicopters and like a lot of, um, innovative technologies that were originally created for military uses, um, such as the same thing was paint protection film. And eventually paint protection film made it, uh, made its way to cars, to new, um, to new car sales to kind of protect the car from debris and the elements and those chips and things you kind of see on the front bumpers as you, you know, kind of drive the car and use it over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have had stuff jump up and nick me, sometimes the windshield. but uh, and, And obviously, for a lot of us, often we're thinking about, I don't know, a SaaS stock or a new internet app or something, or for me, video games. But paint film or paint protection doesn't necessarily leap to the top of the list of exciting businesses we want to be invested in. And yet, Ori, you researched it. What were you seeing and what made you bullish enough to actually buy the stock a while ago?
1: Sure, sure, um, and and to the uh, to uh, I think Chris's point. I think there were a lot of things that were evident that could make someone take a pass, especially if you did some research. Um, I think the most biggest glaring one for me was that 3m was in this business like, <laughs> <laughs> like, <you> know, like, <laughs> so we're gonna compete with Microsoft yeah yeah so like 3m is like obviously a juggernaut um they're they're innovative they they're known for the sticky notes that's what everyone always uses um uh, they were in this business um but I think where the advantage was was expel could focus on it um they kind of established a brand that was known for this. And for 3M, I'd imagine this is a smaller division. And I think there were, there were even like uh, lawsuits where I guess, you know, if you're a larger company, uh, what would you do? Of course, you're going to take legal action because you probably have more resources um, than the, ty- the smaller company. But for me, what I, what I liked was, um, you know, upon working here, I was just learning about the power of incentives and inside ownership. And, and really understand how that can drive performance, and that was certainly the case uh, of Expel with Ryan Papé. Um, and there are some extraordinary stories coming out with Ryan about uh, you know when the he's, founder. Yes. Is, oh, not the founder. He, he's the uh, CEO. This is the CEO who who started when the the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. That's and right. It's and coming then, back to me now. Yeah, yep, and there's right, a yep. story where he, uh, you know, they had these lenders, and they could have, you know, the lenders could have, you know, sent them into bankruptcy essentially. And Ryan Pape went to the lenders said, Hey, you know, I have. X limit on my credit card. You can use my personal credit card while we figure this out. Uh, and he did that. He made that you know sacrifice, and I think not a lot of leaders would do that. Um, and then the other thing I noticed when I when I when I put the position on was that um, they had started to develop a track record. Um, so there was a, you know, a few years of solid earnings, especially in the small cap world, which I think is important, uh, where they were, they were bootstrapping and I, and from a lot of the great companies I've seen there, there's a, there's boot, there tends to be a lot of bootstrapping and nice. self-sufficient, um, you know, using cash flow to grow. So there was a little bit of a track record, high inside ownership. Um, you know, I think they were managing the company very well. Uh, and I think, you know, and I was reading some some strong write-ups, and I, I felt like it was a good time to put a position on.
0: Well, that's great. And the, you know the company's market cap today, right, just about exactly $2 billion. So we're not talking about a fly-by-night micro cap anymore. We are still talking, though, about a smaller cap company. Still does face big competition, I'm quite sure. There is a lot to be said for a culture of bootstrapping and also a company that's focused on something. Sometimes when I've had smaller cap stocks and I'm thinking, should I buy this or not? But oh my gosh, wait, they're competing against, I made it up earlier, Microsoft. Well, the reason that doesn't daunt me some of the time is because when you're a pure play really focused on your product within an industry and you're playing against a player that has a thousand different products and they're trying to manage them all, that isn't necessarily a reason to be intimidated by a much bigger player if you're a more focused player. By the way, Another thing about this, and then I'm going to kick it back to you for some final thoughts, Ori, is it isn't always a winner-takes-all situation, and business really is not a zero-sum game. It's very different from the NFL playoff games that were played last weekend or will be next weekend, where only one can win, the other will definitely lose. It's very plausible that 3M and Expel will win, and your software startup and Microsoft can both win, even if you're in the same Feel This is something that for a lot of people is an aha moment because we're raised often thinking trade-offs and zero-sum. Ori, any final thoughts here about your story, your x story, or Chris's
1: hope for his Jays in the year ahead? Yeah. Uh, f- so concluding thoughts for me, uh, this is the biggest takeaway for me, is uh, love the process. More than the outcome, really mm. enjoy the process because I mean, for, for me, um, obviously this was a big winner. I didn't buy enough to get on the cap table or, or like significantly like change my life. But you're but still
0: working at the Molly Fool. You're not going <laughs> early retirement.
1: But um, but I love I love the process, and this has been a great learning experience for me, and I'm and I'm proud that I was you know read and used other people to help identify the stock and and learn from these these processes. So a lot of people look at this and they say, oh, I missed out on this ten bagger, and, and that's okay. Like learn from so that true. And, uh, and take that into your next process, so you can. Identify the next 10 bagger, 100 bagger, because they are rare. But if you find them, they can substantially change your life in, in meaningful ways. What a
0: wonderful mindset you have, Ori Hughes. And part of what I try to do with this podcast is have exemplars on people who are exhibiting a lot of the things that I think win, not just at in investing, but also in business and life. And Ori, you just threw one down right there that mindset that you have of there's always another wave coming, and you can learn from the previous one. Whether you surfed it well or not, you can definitely learn from the previous one and should. So, Ori, thank you for your inquisitive nature and your research orientation. When you and I off the air talked about this just before you came on, you mentioned that you'd actually prepped up to half an hour or so of material (laughs) about this, and I let you know I was a bad host because I didn't tell you this is a mailbag. item for maybe like five minutes or so, but the point is, uh, your research shops are impressive, sir. So thank you very much for sharing them with all of us listening this
1: week. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. This was a pleasure.
0: All right. On to Rule Breaker mailbag item number five, this one from Ben Adams. Ben, thank you for this note. Hi, David and fellow Rule Breakers. At 39 years of age, this year has been my 10th as a stock market investor and by some margin, the least fun. With a portfolio largely made up of Rule Breaker companies, year-to-date performance has been nothing short of abysmal. I'm an optimist by nature, Ben writes. I enjoy investing because I believe that the future will be better than the past. But there's no denying that this enjoyment has been boosted by a historically strong market during my investing experience so far." By contrast, the seemingly relentless grind down over the last few months has been emotionally tiring and it can be tough to know what to do. Speaking of emotionally tiring, Ben goes on the last 10 years has also seen the birth of my two children. My son is eight years old and is a strong mathematician for his age. Over recent weeks, he's begun to take an interest in the Apple Stocks app. He often catches me studying on my iPhone. He loves to find companies he recognizes, for example, Apple, Tesla, and then tap through the various graphs to see how price has changed over different time frames. There's a charming simplicity to the way children think. Peter Lynch famously said that, You should never invest in any idea that you can't illustrate with a crayon. And it turns out that explaining my holdings to my son was actually just as beneficial for me as it was him. Because I had to clarify my thoughts in order to explain to him in a way that he would understand. It's amazing how much easier it is when you realize you know what you own. He continues to look through the app. He's mostly fascinated by the year to date graph, terrible, and the all view graph showing a company's entire historical performance, often incredible. Dad, why didn't you buy these earlier? He asks. Just imagine what price they'll be when I'm a grown up. And with that, he disappears off to enjoy himself. This is why I invest. Wishing you all. A great Christmas and a foolish 2023, Ben Adams. Well, this note, like a few others written right near the end of last year as opposed to during this month, but what a treat that was to share. Ben, thank you for taking the time to write in and share a little bit of the family banter. I love that your son is a burgeoning mathematician, reading an excellent book right now myself on math. It's by Jordan Ellenberg. You might have seen it before How Not to Be Wrong, The Power of Mathematical Thinking a delightful read. I'm reading on my Kindle, of course. Um, so I think that math, even though I'm an English major, is fascinating. And I share your son's appreciation of looking at graphs and seeing how those stocks have done over the last year, as you wrote, terrible. But how about over a more meaningful time frame? as you wrote, often incredible. And I think at the heart of that is what I shared a little bit earlier with Steve Hostetter and all of you. You have to be able, as F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, to hold opposing thoughts together in your head. To be successful at investing, you have to be willing to recognize, if you're going to buy and hold as I do, that you're going to lose and sometimes dramatically in the near term. That could happen again this year. I doubt it. I think the market's going up this year, but it sure went down last year. You have to be willing to understand that you're going to lose. In order, as I've many times said before, in order to win. And so that simple act of flicking back and forth from the all view to the one-year stock view, both of those are true. Only one of them really matters. And what matters there makes, in my experience, all the difference. So I also grant you your point and appreciation about the cartoon-like thinking, the big picture thinking that Lynch encouraged. I think I do that rather naturally myself. I'm a big picture thinker, which also means I have weaknesses, like I'm not great necessarily at research or getting into the nitty gritty. We all need to play the music that makes the most sense to us. Anyway, I try to hang out with mathematicians as much as I can. So Ben, I'm glad you get to spend the time that you are with your son, and thanks for writing it. All right, two left. One of them, simply an update and accounting of five stocks that spark joy. Their final numbers. But before we get to that one, rule breaker mailbag item number six. This one from sometime, longtime correspondent Lisa Wharton. Lisa, thank you for taking the time here because you have provided a poem, a poem for us as we start 2023 as investors. I've always encouraged all the creatives to be creative. We've had original music played on this podcast. Thank you, Eric DeVore. We've had many a different poem. And Lisa, you've done this more than once. So we will add this to this podcast's artistic repertoire. Dear Fools, Lisa Wharton writes, I'm always eager to listen to Rule Breaker's review of palooza episodes, was pleasantly surprised by the big beat by the three-year-old group of stocks, five stocks that sparked joy. I wrote a poem to celebrate the bullish beginning of 2023. Now, at the top of this episode, I mentioned not trying to brag here. There's not that much to brag about, given where my portfolio is. But I'm up 14% so far this month. It's been a pretty strong market. A lot of the companies that we've discussed this episode in this month that were well down, a lot of them have made pretty nice initial bounces back here at the start of January. So, Lisa, you are both energized by that observation. We're feeling that together. But you're looking ahead, and this is your hopes for the the near term ahead. Okay. It's just three short stanzas. Here we go. The market's up and soaring high. Investors buying? Watch the sky. The tech stocks lead the way to wealth. They're the ones who dominate health. Bulls are running, bears retreat. Money flowing can't be beat. Records broken, new highs reached. Economy thriving. It's a new breach, but be mindful. Don't get too bold. Markets change, and stories are told of those who lost it all too fast. So invest wisely. Make it last. And I think what particularly jumps out to me there, Lisa, is it is possible to get a little too excited in the flush of a 14% partial monthly gain or even a great year like 2020, which really was a great, great year for stocks. And Certainly, a lot of us started investing for the first time during COVID from home, saw huge ups, but then felt huge down. But I really hope we can all look past and think our way out of a two- or three-year mindset to a two- or three-decade mindset. That's something that we've been throwing down for our fellow fools, both exemplifying it ourselves, but also inspiring. And I hope encouraging all of you to be playing the only game that counts The long game. So, reminding us at the end, Lisa, do not get too crazy, crazy high or crazy low, but to invest as you wrote wisely and make it last. And I think that's the important point. My brother Tom Gardner and I have always been whole life investors. We don't think you're just doing it for an era or a season. I would highly not suggest you invest cyclically. I would highly suggest you make a lifetime commitment to your investments and whether they take the form of stock market investments and or real estate investments, and or many other forms of investing your time, yourself, and of course, your money. All of them, I think, are going to be best if they're done with a long-term mindset. And that's such a hard thing for many people today, especially when the financial news is reported as if it's, I don't know, sports results that matter every single day. It really doesn't. Most of the work that we do that really matters as investors is, is sort of the work that Ori Hughes is referencing or did himself. That's the research that we do to think long term and figure out where we want to allocate our money. So it's fun to follow the markets just like I enjoy following sports, but I think it's going to be most productive if you don't follow the markets because you're thinking not to invest cuz we're we're down or up or specifically to overinvest too much because we're down or up. People have different mentalities around this. I really of course favor the stability of regular actions. Atomic habits, if you will, take week after week, quarter after quarter, year after year, over the course of your life. Thank you, Lisa. All right. Rule breaker mailbag item number seven. Not the most exciting mailbag item we've ever done, but I did commit to you as we closed out our review of Palooza last week that the final numbers would come in for five stocks that spark joy. And indeed, they have. So the final accounting. And now we can get ready. Ready the full Halla music, Rick. The final performance for five stocks that spark joy picked on January 22nd, 2020, closing out last January 20th. Market closed Friday, 2023. Amazon, Apple, Etsy, Tesla, and Walt Disney. The best performer by far, Tesla, up 251%. Etsy, not too shabby, up 162%. Disney, down 28% over those three years. But take it all in all, those five stocks, as a sampler, up 92.4%. The S&P 500, over the same period, up 20.8%. Therefore, five stocks that spark joy. Are you hearing me, Marie Kondo? Signed, sealed, and delivered. This is now a permanent part of history. Close out 92.4% versus 20.8% each stock on average, beating the market by 71.7%. Outstanding alpha, I think, for a great theme to keep in mind, not just in 2020, but just as true in 2023 and all the three-year periods going forward. How about stocks, companies that spark joy, starting with you, that you admire, that enable you to make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. So it starts with what sparks joy for you and for me. But I think it gets even better if you think beyond ourselves, what do we think will spark joy for many of us, for the world at large? And if you use that as a key lens, as you look at the world and think about what stock do I want to buy next? Stocks that spark joy, whether you're talking about a rambunctious eight-year-old mathematician who's looking up stuff on your phone or your spouse or partner about the hard year that was or the great decade that has been and I think will be sparking joy with Marie Kondo, I think is not a bad investment strategy. Well, thank you for joining us for this January 2023 edition of Mailbag. I'm looking forward to February. In the meantime, pull on.